the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. Thus far in our study of 1 Corinthians, we have received some very profound teaching from the Apostle Paul. And as we've seen, all of this flows out of the sin of the believers in Corinth, the Corinthians. And as we get into chapter 5 next week, Paul will begin addressing other sins that the, than the ones that we have seen thus far. And so we know that uh, the, the sin nature, the issues that he is addressing, that he is rebuking and confronting are in fact a lot deeper than what we have already seen. But he starts with what is the foundation of their problems. And these aren't theoretical. They're not potential. They are actual ongoing sins being practiced by or in the Corinthian church. However, up to this point, the main sin he has been addressing is the sin of pride. How this has fleshed out is the factions within the church under the guise of spirituality in that they were attaching the names of church leaders to these different divisions, including Paul's and including Jesus Christ for that matter. And we've seen that this pride is a manifestation of worldly thinking, of worldly wisdom. And so Paul addresses that in depth. And so this is a direct contradiction we have seen with true wisdom, with godly wisdom, with wisdom that is from God that is centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Coming to the end of chapter 4, last week we learned of Paul's reason for such a hard rebuke. He changes his tone And why does he rebuke them? Why does he admonish them in this way? As we saw last week, simply put, because he loves them. But more than that, he loves God. And this leads to a passion for God's glory. And so he cannot tolerate, he cannot sit idly by and hear about or watch, as it were, these believers whom he has led to Christ, whom he has discipled, whom he has taught and shepherded, stray from that glory of God in their lives, which is what we do when we sin. God's glory must be reflected in the holiness, not only of Paul's life, but in the lives of the Corinthian Christians. And that's why he's doing what he's doing. He's not okay to sit by and say, well, I'm doing well. I'm honoring God. I'm, I'm striving in my race. No, he must address sin. And it's not just because of who he is. He's doing so because he's their friend. He's doing so because he's their Christian brother. But of course, also as a spiritual father, as we saw last week, he calls them to repentance 
and the godliness which he models for them. And in our passage this morning, Paul now tells them that he plans to come soon. Physically, he will come and visit them in Corinth. And in doing that, he will be able to confront the arrogant sinners in person. And what he's about to tell us is he'll be able to see if they are all talk or if there is actual power behind what they are doing, if there's actual power behind the sins that they are acting on. And for the record, the only power that matters to him is the only true power, and that is the power of God. That is the power of the kingdom of God. And what's more, Paul says that when he comes, he can either come as a disciplinarian or as a gracious, loving father. Let's read it for ourselves in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. It's our passage for this morning. We're going to finish off chapter 4 this morning, verses 18 through 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Now, what we've just read in these verses is a continuation of Paul's loving and brotherly and fatherly personal appeal to the Corinthians with the addition of sharing his plans to come and visit them. And in this, again, we get some profound teaching regarding this time, the nature of sin and our practice of it as born-again Christians. And I really want this morning to help you realize and remember these aspects of sin. Because sin is deep, sin can be complicated, but it is also very common. And so I'm going to couch them in our outline this morning in familiar phrases, idioms, sayings, even cliches. And so our outline for this morning is three popular sayings that teach us the nature of sin. Three popular sayings that teach us the nature of sin. Now, the sin of pride in particular, uh, and contextually for the Corinthians, but all sin. And by using these common phrases, I hope to not only help you remember what sin is like, but also to show you how common are the ways of sin and temptation. Well, our first popular saying that teaches us the nature of sin is found in verse 18, which I'll read for you again. Now some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Our first popular saying that teaches us the nature of sin is when the cat's away, the mice will play. When the cat's away, the mice will play. This popular proverb, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, has actually been used for hundreds of years. And it simply means that without supervision, people will not do their work. They will engage in what is entertaining or laziness, or they will outright break the rules. For example, 
A good example uh, of this saying and how it's often used is when a teacher leaves the room and tells the kids, okay, keep working, keep working on your math lessons. As soon as she leaves the room, the students start talking. They start goofing off rather than doing their work. When the boss is out of the office, the employees tend to make more personal calls. They surf the internet or they take extra long lunches. Or when the pastor or apostle is not present, the believers will more easily give in to pride and other sinful behavior. And that's what's happening here. When the cat's away, the mice will play. Now, Paul here in our verse, verse 18, refers to the troublemakers in the church community. Not all of the Corinthians in the church, but those who have become, as he says here, arrogant about their sin. Arrogance, as you know, means to be puffed up with self-importance. It literally means to be puffed up with air or hot air. And for the individual, it means with self-importance, thinking someone is so great, egotistical, and so you become arrogant. We understand that. That's how we use it in our world today. And here, Paul now finally hones in on the specific individuals in the church who are causing problems for everyone. And the danger here is that these select few clearly have a significant influence on the rest of the church body. And in relation to Paul, they're the ones who have disregarded Paul's teaching and authority and that uh, lack of adherence to what Paul has been teaching is now spreading even to those who may not specifically be those that Paul here is calling the arrogant troublemakers. And before we get too sympathetic, you need to understand that the church as a whole is also at fault for tolerating and even adopting this sinful behavior. And we'll actually unpack this concept more next week in where Paul talks about just one specific individual who is in gross sin, actually incest, and he rebukes the whole church because they are all tolerating the sin. And, and this is... This happens. This, this is easy to happen. It, it's, it's not just when it's someone who already has influence in the church. It's not just someone who necessarily everyone likes or is an elder in the church. When there is vocal or, or very public sin, especially of this nature of pride, it can easily spread in the church because we're all sinners. And when there's temptation already, when other people sin, we are tempted to say, well, then, yeah, I guess it's okay for me to do it too. And that's when we have kind of that status quo mentality. We do this all the time. We do this about how fast we drive, uh, whether we wear masks or not, how we behave uh, in the office place. And it's the same thing or could be the same thing with sin. The irony here is that when people get arrogant, they think of themselves as special, as better, as more mature. And the reality, though, is they are acting like little children who have the house to themselves while the parents are otherwise absent or preoccupied. And we can safely assume that everyone receiving this letter knows exactly who the 
troublemakers are, who the arrogant are. These are the ones who have bragged about their so-called wisdom and abused the names of the various church leaders by creating factions with those names and in so doing, as Paul will unpack more as we get through the epistle, have slandered the Apostle Paul. And what Paul is saying is that they feel the freedom, the liberty to act this way because they know that Paul is gone. There is no accountability, and frankly, they think, or at least they're acting this way, that he's never coming back. And that's what he says in in verse 18. Some of you have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you, as though I were not coming back. And they're probably already surprised and a little embarrassed that Paul is even writing this letter and mentions that he knows about their sin. Remember, this was a time where there's, there's no phone calls. They're, they're not uh, even, even a, a modern mail system, right, where you can get a letter in just a matter of days or a couple weeks. And so there, there's just not the transfer of information that quickly. And so they probably felt comfortable, and, and it probably fed their arrogance, like, He's gone. He's not coming back. And even if he was going to come, it would take him a long time to get here. And so they keep feeling like they have the freedom to do what they are doing. And perhaps it's the case that since he has sent Timothy, as we saw last week, and even receiving this letter, they have even more belief that Well, he's not coming because why send a representative? Why send a letter if you plan to come yourself? As a result, because of their pride, they have slipped back into worldly thinking and are behaving in a way that is sinful, that is proud, that is arrogant, because there is a lack of good spiritual leadership and accountability present. When the cat's away, the mice will play. There's a warning here for us. The avoidance of sin is not just about spiritual leadership and accountability, which help, but it is ultimately about seeking God and His glory. In other words, just because Paul is gone does not make this sin acceptable. Let me make it more practical. Just because your pastor or your discipler or your close Christian friends are okay with it doesn't mean it's okay. It is about God's standard. It's about God's glory. I often tell people when they ask for discipleship, especially uh, for the sake of accountability or a greater accountability, I should say, than just being part of the church, I often tell them that you have to understand that if there is a specific sin that is ongoing and especially has been ongoing, and in the midst of that you are coming to me for accountability, you have to look at accountability very carefully. I cannot forgive people I disciple the way God does. You understand what I mean. I cannot change their heart. I cannot die for their sin. Uh, my words of encouragement, my, my words of rebuke, my blood, so to speak, does not cover their sins. They must focus on Christ. And accountability, I will tell them, is like a Band-Aid. It will stop the bleeding. 
It could stop further infection, but it's not going to heal it. A Band-Aid is just a Band-Aid. We, we use that. Speaking of, of cliches, we use the word Band-Aid as something that just kind of covers a wound. Accountability is not going to fix the problem. You need to repent. You need to fix the problem. But if all you're doing is relying on the Band-Aid, whether in a physical sense when you're cut or on a spiritual sense, you know you're going to have a problem. If you need antibiotics, if you need medicine, if you need stitches... The Band-Aid may hold you for a few hours, a few days, but eventually you're going to have bigger problems. And it's the same thing with accountability. And the challenge then is pretty soon, if the sin is not dealt with, you have one or two things. And I tell people this. I say, if you don't deal with this sin, in about a month or two or three, there's really nothing else I can say. I will have shared all the verses about seeking God, about that particular sin. Uh, I will have been firm. I will have been gracious. I will have hugged you. I will have rebuked you. But if you're still, you haven't repented in three months, there's nothing I can say. And what's going to happen is either one, you're just going to get comfortable telling me week after week, yeah, I blew it again this week. And then the accountability is pretty much useless. Or two, you're just going to look to me for appeasement, for some sort of forgiveness, to feel okay about yourself when I or whoever it is cannot see your heart. You can fool me. You can lie to me. You can lie to yourself and then thus think you're telling me the truth when it's really a lie. And so we must seek God and His glory. And I say that because last week we saw Paul say, you need to model after me. You need to follow me. But later on in the book, he'll say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the point. And in light of all of this, I want to give you three reasons that we should not, cannot pursue godliness or holiness. So do not pursue godliness for any of these three reasons. And they're all related and they're all fall under what I've just said. The first is for reputation. Do not seek godliness for your reputation. And yes, this includes your testimony with unbelievers. Don't seek change in your life just to be a good testimony to other people. That same pride that seeks to look good or holy before men is the same pride that says, do what makes you look good. Do what makes you feel good. Sin is inevitable when that is your mindset. Ironically, acting godly just for the sake of others in, is in itself a form of sin. It's a fear of man. If you just want to deal with your sins so you will have more respect from the men in our church or the women in the church or from me or whoever it is, then you're bound to have problems. Because then when you're at work, you're just going to seek the pleasure of your boss. Then when you're at the bar, you're just going to seek the pleasure of the bartender. Then when you're at the fraternity party, and you can see, right, it may not be that bad, but you see the pattern. If it just stops at men, then it's going to stop at men wherever you go. You've heard me say this before. Seek true holiness 
for God's honor and your testimony and your reputation will naturally follow. Number two, don't pursue godliness to please spiritual authorities. Do not pursue godliness to please spiritual authorities. Unless, of course, we are talking about the ultimate authority, which is God. But, but authorities in terms of other people. Why? Because what happens when this authority is gone? On vacation? Or is replaced? Oh, what happens when that pastor moves on? He dies or goes to another church. What happens when your discipler moves or says, I don't have time to disciple you anymore? Beware of viewing the Christian walk or ministry as a job in which you need to please your boss. That's not what the Christian life is. Of course, when you see your boss as a human being. Because then you just want to make him or her happy. You want to receive his praise. You want to earn a promotion within the church. If I just show him I'm this, then maybe he'll make me a deacon or an elder, or let me do this or do that, right? And as weird as that sounds, there are people who do that. It's just one more thing on top of their, uh, their degrees and their, their, their grades and their job and their part of the leadership of their, their local club. It's just one more thing where they want to do well and get accolades and different titles and things like that. You want to be careful of that. Don't just do it to please spiritual authorities in your life. Thirdly, and this is similar to the first one, don't just pursue holiness or godliness. And by the way, when I say this, I hope you understand that if you are doing it for any of these reasons, you aren't pursuing holiness or godliness. We're, I'm talking about just the, the idea of looking or, or sometimes trying to be holy. But again, if you're not doing it for the Lord, it's not godliness, it's not holiness. But don't pursue these things, thirdly, for influence or respect. Influence or respect, right? Don't just do it so you can be an influence for others, right? Don't say, I need to get my life right now that I'm engaged because I need to be a good example to my wife or I need to learn to be a good Christian wife. Don't say, oh, two lines or one line, whatever means positive on the pregnancy test and say, I really need to get my life right because I need to disciple my kids. I need to be a good parent to my kids. That is true. And look, if you're in that position, yeah, get your life right, right? Because now other people's lives depend on it, their spiritual lives. But you need to get, and perhaps it's harder in those situations, you need to get your mindset right so you're doing it for the Lord. You're doing it for God. Because even if you're stuck in that situation, here's what's going to happen. You're going to yell at your wife and do horrible things behind closed doors while the kids are sleeping, but you're going to muster up the strength to be a good example to your kids. And pretty soon that's going to fall through. Your kids are going to get older. They're going to become Christians, hopefully. They're going to become more mature, and they're going to see right through your hypocrisy. And again, even right there, if you said, uh-oh, don't want that to happen, that again, and I apologize for putting that in your minds, but that's the wrong motivation. 
oh, my kids one day will see. No, we need to do it for the Lord. And you know what else is going to happen if you're just doing it for your kids? When they misbehave, it's going to be about your ego and about their behavior. It's not about disciplining them, as we'll see in a moment, so that you'll drive the foolishness out of their lives so that they would turn to Christ. Right? It just becomes behavior modification, and all you're going to do is you're going to raise up a new generation of church legalists, as much of a legalist and a hypocrite as you are, should you continue on this path. When I was a missionary uh, and all that I did uh, for the seminary that I taught out for the church, and now especially now in church planting, my motto in ministry, in my personal ministry, and in our church is very simple. Let God handle the publicity. Because if I was concerned about me growing numbers or you growing numbers, my preaching would be very different. This would look very different. There'd be a fancy background. There'd be our logo. There'd be a cross. There'd be multiple camera angles. There'd be tens of thousands of dollars worth of computer equipment. Because it's not about that stuff. Right? Uh, we, we would, I, I would ask for more giving because we would need to hire a pastor of media and, and social media and, and putting together videos and things like that. That does exist. But I let God handle the publicity and I do what I'm supposed to do, which is to go as deep as I know how to. And that's it. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.